Good morning, everyone. We will be reading in Philippians chapter 4, focusing primarily on verses 4 uh, through 9. And this uh, sermon is entitled, The Peace of God. This is actually a continuation of uh, as going through the fruit of the Spirit. So we did uh, love, joy, and now we're on peace. Um, before we start, what is peace? So from the Oxford Dictionary, we have these definitions. Uh, freedom from disturbance, tranquility, mental calm, and serenity. In one sense, that definition, it's true, but it kind of lacks as far as the Christian life is concerned. The, the world seeks peace in its own way. Uh, people will seek peace in themselves. They, they strive for inner peace. If you're familiar with some of the, the religions around the world, such as Buddhism, you know, they, they really focus on uh, the inner peace. And really, what they're trying to do is somehow improve the situation, uh, improve their feelings to a situation, uh, trying to, in one sense, kind of make things feel better, uh, make things uh, be better within themselves. Um, and really, they have to do it on their own strength. They have to focus on something that makes them feel good, makes them feel at peace. And again, that method and this definition is only partially complete. But peace is actually a fruit of the Spirit, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, uh, found in Galatians chapter 5. So if peace is a fruit of the Spirit... Where do we get peace from? Um, there was a, an interesting, I think it was a competition, if I remember correctly, where uh, they were looking for this, this particular group, wanted people to paint a picture that defined peace. And they got many applications. Uh, most of those applications were, you know, paintings of meadows and other peaceful uh, surroundings and so forth. The winner of the competition was the one who painted this picture. If you guys can see it clearly, um, this one is by Jack E. Dawson. It's a picture of, uh, for those who can't see it clearly, a storm in the background, a, a very violent storm. You see wind blowing the trees, and you also see a very active waterfall. And for those of us who live in this area, especially during a rainy season, we might get flash floods, uh, especially this year has been kind of crazy with some of the water and stuff. If you've been up to the Kern River, you've seen uh, what active water looks like. And so this is, this is definitely very turbulent. This is a very turbulent painting. And this is what won the competition. And the reason it won the competition was because if you focused in on the cliff, 
you would see, and this is kind of a blurry picture, but you would see a little dove sitting on a nest, right, let's go back, it's right actually below one of the main waterfalls there. So as the water rages around her, she's sitting serenely on her nest. And this was, again, the winner of that competition. This is not a perfect analogy, of course. Um, but it does give you kind of an idea that uh, the Christian life is one surrounded by turmoil, but you can still have peace despite. And that was really the point of that painting. So where do we get peace from? Peace comes from God, as mentioned in Philippians uh, 4.7. And really, uh, Philippians 4.7 is where we will be focusing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard you in your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's kind of the, the key scripture that we'll be focusing on and then reading scriptures around it to figure out what was being talked about. So where do we get peace from? So, as it states, the peace of God. But also in John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So we get our peace from God, from Jesus. He gives it to us. It is a free gift. We don't have to... In one sense, we don't have to do anything in of ourselves. It's like grace. It's like uh, any other fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that we produce in ourselves. Again, it is called the fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by God in us. And this seems so simple. These are simple truths. But how does this really work? How do we get peace all the time, especially when we need it most. <laughs> I was uh, discussing this sermon with my wife, and at one point I looked at her and said, I, I don't know how I'm going to preach on peace this Sunday. Uh, I really don't know how I'm going to preach on it this Sunday. Uh, how can I? Uh, with just some of the things that have gone on. Um, so you have the Ortiz family and some of the trials that they've gone through and that we were walking through with them. And then just everyday life, realizing my inadequacies uh, as, again, you kind of have you know, two extremes of the spectrum. Uh, anything can really rob you of the peace and joy of Christ. Uh, something as extreme as death or something as simple as just being tired and frustrated. Um, and as I did this study, and as I stand up here before you now and preach this to you, uh, I am aware of the fact that I haven't achieved, I haven't attained this. I'm still learning. Uh, and really, that's how it works. This is all part of the sanctification process. Uh, you just continue to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. So as I share this with you, keep in mind 
that these are simple truths um, that you need to hold on to. So again, how does this work? How do we get peace? So this is where we focus on the verses surrounding that one. First, let's start in verse 4. Again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So that is, that's the first key. Paul steps it off with, you need to rejoice. Sometimes, when you're feeling good, when you're having a good day, when the music is right. Now it says rejoice always in the Lord at all times. And he repeats it again. I will say rejoice. It's not always easy to do. How can we rejoice when we're going through something very difficult? Again, be it a what might be considered a minor frustration, really, at any given time, a frustration seems over our heads. You know, if, again, if you're tired and just something has frustrated you, whether you're in traffic, standing in line at the grocery store, uh, having somebody annoy you at work, maybe have your kids push you to the limits, again, all the way to the far spectrum of uh, death and illness. How can you rejoice in the Lord when you're faced with some of those things? We have an example in Job, chapter 1. Everybody's familiar with Job and all the wonderful trials that he got to go through. After Job had lost everything, including his health, he states in verse 21 of chapter 1, The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is rejoicing? It's, it's more actually than just being happy. It's, just more, it's more than just being joyful. Uh, it is when you are rejoicing in the Lord, as we're commanded in verse 4, in reality what you're doing is changing your focus. You're taking your focus off of what is overwhelming you at the moment and turning them to Christ. You're putting your eyes on Christ and saying, Lord, this is overwhelming to me. But I know that you are bigger than this. And Lord, I, I praise you for always being with me. I praise you for being in control of this situation. And really, again, that rejoicing is a surrendering of the situation to Christ. I've heard it said that in whatever situation you're in, if you find especially that you are overwhelmed, finding something to praise God for, just one thing, will change your perspective. Jesus said in Luke, uh, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
facing what he knew he would have to face and praying, Lord, if, if possible, please take this cup away from me. And it is okay to pray that, by the way. It is okay to say, Lord, I, I don't like this. Can you please just take this away? I would much rather just not have to deal with this. But then Jesus caps it with, not my will, but yours be done. And really, those are the hardest words to say, especially if you're going through a trial. Those are the the hardest words to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Again, it is surrendering that moment. It's surrendering whatever you're dealing with over to Christ and saying, you know what, I, I can't handle this. And Lord, I need your strength. Again, this is the difference between how the world gets peace and how a Christian gets peace. The world, how they get peace, if they have no hope, have no hope in Christ, is to try to, again, manufacture peace in some way. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, They, you know, they, they suck it up. They gut it out. They, or find some avenue of escape, you know, be it alcohol or drugs or whatever the escape may be. But our escape is Christ. Again, this is what it means to rejoice always. Make Jesus your escape. In verse 5, it says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to inject in there. Rejoice in the Lord. Put your focus back on Jesus. Be gentle. You go, be gentle? What does that really have to do with anything? Well, I find that when I am stressed and anxious and worried and frustrated and somehow buried underneath something, uh, I tend to be very short-tempered. I tend to be very short in my responses to people. Maybe I don't get angry, but at the same time, I'm not the the most warm and cuddly person around. You might go, you know what? You need a little space. But we're called to be gentle. Again, where do we get gentleness from? From Christ, from Jesus, from focusing on him, from turning our eyes to him. Lord, Give me patience. Help me to be gentle. Help me to be kind in my responses. And Paul puts in there, the Lord is near. When it says God is near, it could mean a few things. Uh, God's return is imminent. We all know that. He's coming soon. That should bring us joy and excitement. That should give us something to look forward to. Soon, we will be with Christ for all of eternity. We will get to leave all of the burdens of this life behind and be in his presence for all of eternity. That should, if you've ever studied what heaven is like uh, throughout scripture, uh, it's something to to get excited about, to look forward to, uh, to... Just the knowledge that we will no longer be impeded by the distractions of this life, and we will get to worship the Lord 
in pure, just absolute, total access to him. Uh, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. If you've ever spent time worshiping Christ and you've had that moment to where it's just like, I, I, I can't get enough, I need more. And you're lifted into the spirit and, and you feel beyond joyful, exuberant. There's, I, I can't quite put into words how those moments of worship feel. It's otherworldly is the only way I can express it. And there are times where it's like, Lord, I don't want this to stop. But I can't in this physical form maintain that permanently. And so I have to leave. And there's that sadness at realizing that, you know what, this is only temporary. But when we get to be with Christ for all eternity, when we are in heaven with him, we're no longer impeded by that. So there are things to look forward to. When Christ returns, God is near. He's returning soon. Again, that's something to look forward to. But it's also a promise for the here and now. It's not just future, it's the here and now. God is near. Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And of course, God promises in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those are promises that Jesus is with us, that God is with us in a very real way all the time, no matter where we're at or what we're going through. There's a key scripture in James chapter 4. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. Turn your focus back onto Christ. Draw near to him. And verse 6, it continues in Philippians. Do not be anxious, but pray about everything. So, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what leads into verse 7. But in everything, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't be anxious about anything. We're instructed. But in everything, by prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving. It's kind of an interesting pair. So we're instructed to take everything to God. Nothing is too small or too big for God to handle. Even if it's, Lord, I'm annoyed at this stoplight. Give me patience. It's not too small. Because your character... For instance, gentleness is supposed to be that of Christ. And sometimes it's that, that moment by moment, one step at a time. Lord, help me to be like you. Help me to be joyful in this situation. It's a stoplight. Help me to be joyful, Lord. I'm annoyed because I've got someplace I have to be. Help me to be patient. Help me to realize, Lord, it's, it's not that important. Help me to see... The big picture. And really, 
again, doesn't matter how small or how big the issue really is, how seemingly insignificant compared to some things or how overwhelming the trial may be, we need an eternal perspective. We need God's perspective. We need to be able to see see things from his point of view. And again, that's part of what you gain when you turn your eyes onto Christ, when you rejoice in the Lord always, when you turn the situation over to him, again, whatever it may be. Lord, help me to see clearly. Help me to see the situation from your perspective. So don't be anxious about anything. That's easier said than done. Really, all of this is easier said than done. As I said, these are simple truths. And it's easy to be schooled in them. It's easy to understand many of these truths, to hold on to them, to even apply them. But then when something big comes your way, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you get to actively put this into practice. Much like soldiers go through preliminary training before they are sent out into the battlefield, once their boots hit the ground, all of what they've learned, all of what they've trained, now has to come into real practice. So again, these are easy words to say, but oftentimes very hard to do, and really impossible for us to do without Christ. As later in Philippians Uh, It's read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a catchphrase. That is not a feel-good moment, put it up on the wall, buy it on a plaque from Hobby Lobby type of catchphrase. This is for real. I can do all of this through the darkest trial because I have Christ as my strength. And everything by prayer and pleading. Again, kind of, Paul didn't just say, yeah, take it to God, pray about it. And, okay, I've prayed about it. This pleading denotes a, a very intense time of prayer, maybe over a period of time. It's, it's bringing something intently before the Lord. Uh, Jesus gave the parable of um, the woman who pestered the unrighteous judge, you know, basically pounded at his door and wouldn't go away until he resolved her case. And Jesus said, that's what you're supposed to do to my father. Not that he's an unrighteous judge, but pester him. Go to prayer. In other words, continually take this to prayer not just because that's the right thing to do, but because you're going to need to do that. This is not just a one and done. Oftentimes we need to, maybe even moment by moment at times, take something to prayer. So it shows the intensity of the prayer, but then it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, that, that proper focus, 
This is where rejoice in the Lord always. I encourage you to always find something to praise the Lord for. In any situation, find something to praise the Lord for. It's a good practice. When you start feeling yourself become overwhelmed, frustrated, annoyed, depressed, whatever the case may be, because we as Christians, we go through all of those things. We are in this, this physical form, and unfortunately, we are not immune to sins and the things of the world. So when you start to struggle with something, I encourage you to find something to praise God for. Find one thing to praise him for. What is one thing that you could always praise him for? Salvation. That is something you can always fall back on. The moment may be absolutely horrible. And if you are familiar with not only Christians who are being persecuted now, but if you read through Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, if you are familiar with any of the, again, any of the Christian persecution around the world, and I use that as kind of an extreme example uh, because oftentimes when those Christians are persecuted, they lose absolutely everything and they are put in the most darkest circumstances. We can always go back to Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were thrown in the dungeon. I seem to refer back to that one frequently. Using them as an example, they praised the Lord. They turned their eyes onto Christ, even in the darkest situation, because they had something to praise him for. And what did they have to praise him for in that absolute lose everything, <clears throat> excuse me, lose everything, darkest situation? They had salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's an encouragement. Bring it before the Lord. Take it to Jesus. He is with you after all. He's walking there right there beside you. <clears throat> we're encouraged in Psalm 23, specifically verse 4, uh, where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 has become, unfortunately, it's been read so much, especially at funerals and things, uh, that it, it seems to have lost some of its meaning. Um, but... I always find great encouragement going back to Psalm 23 and digging through it because uh, it has some very profound truths. And in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Your rod and they, your staff, they comfort me. Note that phrase, we walk through the valley. Unfortunately, there's... Uh, by some, an impression that once you've accepted Christ, once you belong to him, that life is going to be a bowl of cherries. And by the way, a bowl of cherries also has pits. So they always say, a bed of roses. Well, roses have thorns. So, you know, <laughs> it's not always what it's cracked up to be. But we're told that you'll be 
happy, wealthy, and healthy if you, if you follow Christ, which is not always true. Oftentimes, we have to walk through the valley. If, if it was true that we were uh, happy, wealthy, and healthy when we follow Christ, then it would say in verse uh, 4 of chapter 23 in Psalms, uh, that he would carry us over the valley of the shadow of death, that he would fly us over the valley of the shadow of death, uh, that our foot would not touch the ground. But instead it says we walk through it. We don't run, we walk. But we take encouragement because God is with us. He will get us, give us strength and get us through. Keeping our eyes on Jesus is another way to have his peace. I was encouraged recently uh, by a sister here in our, in our church family, uh, the story of Peter walking on the water. I always like that story because it is such a graphic example of us walking in life. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, disciples were in the boat, they were going across the lake, there was a storm, and in the middle of the night, Jesus had been left on shore. In the middle of the night, they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. They, of course, freak out because that's unnatural, they think it's a ghost, and Jesus calls out to them, don't be afraid, it's me. Relax. It's I. And it's still kind of a distance from the boat. And Peter calls out, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come out of the boat and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come out of the boat. Walk to me. And so Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Now the storm has not stopped. The waves are still tossing, the wind is still blowing, but Peter is walking on the water. How is he able to do that? For one thing, God commanded him to. And God has control of all of the elements. But secondly, because he was still looking at Jesus during that time. Because it says, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to notice the waves and the wind, and really probably the reality of the situation of, whoa, he began to what? Sink. Now, if you've ever tried to walk on water, and I'm sure most of us who have grown up in the church, have tried to walk on water at some point, think, yeah, maybe I can do it. It doesn't work very well. Usually you, you end up with a face full of water uh, because water cannot support human weight. Yeah, and depending on how you do it, sometimes you might belly flop, and yeah, it's, it's, it's not a very pretty picture. So kind of picture Peter in that type of situation to where he's walking on the water, and all of a sudden, once he takes his eyes off of Jesus, that water doesn't support his weight anymore. And he immediately begins to sink. And in the middle of a storm, now sinking in a pool is one thing, because you can bob back up and, you know, you're usually good to go. But if you've ever been in the ocean or a lake, let's say, while uh, the waves are tossing, it's not an easy thing to come up and catch your breath. It's very terrifying, especially during a storm. And of course, 
Peter's response is to call out to Jesus. Perfect response. And it says, and immediately Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled him out of the water. Not when Jesus was able to walk over to him. He didn't call out, you know, breaststroke, dog paddle, that'll work. I'll be there in a second. It was immediately Jesus was there, reached down and grabbed his hand. And so too with us. Again, God is always with us. He's always there if we turn our eyes to him and say, Lord, I need you. Where are you? And what I was reminded of by the sister was that when Jesus called Peter out of the boat, do you think Jesus was doing that as an experiment? See if Peter can walk on water. Or do you think Jesus actually knew what was going to happen? He knew what was going to happen. He also knew Peter was not physically able to walk on water by himself. But he called him out of the boat anyway because God was giving him the ability to walk on the water. And he also knew that Peter was going to sink. And he also knew that he would raise Peter up and walk with him on the water back to the boat. People will often misquote the scripture, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. In reality, we are given more than we can handle. But not more than what we can handle in him. It says he will provide a way of escape for us, i.e., God will get us through whatever he's given us, even a situation where it's, it's too much for us. It, it makes us get in over our heads. But the key, again, from that story is to keep your eyes on Jesus, to always be fixed on him. And that's not always an easy thing to do because the waves and the wind are very distracting. Ran across a quote recently uh, from Winston Churchill, of all people. He said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Now, that has political connotations to it. But for a Christian, never let a good trial go to waste. And you, may, you might think, that, is really, that sentence really doesn't make sense. Never let a good trial go to waste. Is there such a thing as a good trial? Are you, whenever you're in a trial, do you always think to your, do you ever think to yourself, ah, this is a good one. I like this one. Not usually. At least I don't. (laughs) Really, what that truth is saying is, let God use whatever you're going through to draw you closer to him. Don't fight Don't struggle. Peter could have struggled in the water. He could have, as he was sinking, after all, consider for a moment, uh, back to the story again of Peter walking on the water. Peter was familiar with water. What was his occupation? He was a fisherman. He grew up in and on the water. I'm sure he was an excellent swimmer. So very familiar with the water. Very strong individual physically. And you might be 
physically, mentally, and emotionally able to handle things yourselves for the most part. Talking to myself, I might be able to handle it myself for the most part. For a time. But even Peter, his strength was expended very quickly. And oftentimes trials do that to us. Our strength is very quickly expended. And so we can either continue to struggle or we can turn our eyes to Christ. Okay, we get to verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So know what it says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, cap it, whatever... If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why would that be tacked on? That almost sounds like a 10-step type program. Why would that be tacked on to this encouragement? You have the promise of the full peace of God. To tap into that, you have to think about these things. And then, this again is not a, you know, bootstraps type scenario to where it's like, okay, if I just think about, it's, what he's actually saying is uh, what's been said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, where he says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what he's really telling us to do. Control your thoughts. That's not an easy thing. But he's saying, control your thoughts. Pay attention to what happens up here. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. In Isaiah 26.3, I like the King James Version of this, where it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth. In thee. A person whose mind is stayed or fixed on God will be in perfect peace because, why? Not just because he's, he's thinking about godly things. I must think about godly things. I must repeat to myself a mantra over and over again of Scripture. This is thinking about things of God because he trusts in God. Putting your full trust in Christ enables you to think about things of Christ. Again, when I talked about and I encouraged you to find something to praise him for. What is something we can always praise him for? Salvation. Think about what Christ has done for you. In the Old Testament, there are, are parts of scripture where um, the Israelites talk about what God has done for them in the past. And the reason they mention that is because they're holding on to the fact that, you know what, God, you got us through that. You will get us through this. And your promises of a future are sure. 
And so too with us. Think about all the things that God has brought you through. I always encourage people, look for God's fingerprint in your life. The little things, it never ceases to amaze me. Little things even. Be it a, you know, a schedule change or something that just, you can go, wow, God orchestrated that. It seems so simple, so small, but yet God orchestrated that, so this would happen. Keep in mind that God is in control of every aspect of your life. And this is where, again, the surrender comes in. Acknowledging that, Lord, you have control of every aspect of my life. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be overwhelmed. Hold on to those truths. This is not a blind faith I'm encouraging, but rather an active faith. I'm not just encouraging you to hold on to something you know is true, but to do so as if you've, you, you've just got something in your hand. You need to hold it close. It needs to be in your heart. And that's not, again, that's not always the easiest thing to do, either in your own life or if you're encouraging somebody else's. Uh, encouraging somebody else in their struggles, in their trials. Oftentimes you might get asked, like, what is, what is good in this event? What is good about this event? And you have to acknowledge, you know what, this event, it's not good. <laughs> but you have to hold on to God's truths anyway and still say, you know what, but, but God, I know he has everything in his hands. You have to hold on to that truth. It's kind of an interesting, an interesting sermon. I was reflecting on the fact that it is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and what is Memorial Day about? It's about remember those who have fallen in the service of their country. If you've ever experienced loss, or if you've seen somebody else who has, it's an intense pain that you can't fix. And again, if you are there for anyone who is experiencing that pain, or if you're going through it yourself, oftentimes, you don't have the right answers to say. Again, because whatever you say is not necessarily going to fix the problem anyway. But what you can do in your own life and in, to encourage somebody else is to keep reminding them where to turn their eyes. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him. Hold on to those truths that you know are true. Hold on to the fact that he is always with you. He knows what you're going through. He feels your pain. When God came to this earth as a man, he experienced every aspect of our lives and the pain and suffering that we go through. He can identify with us very clearly. I always liken it to um, my children. If I talk to my children 
as I'm talking to you now, I'm orating. And they look up, and it's okay. This is, this is dad talking. But things change when I get down at their level. I might get on my knees, and we're now eye to eye. And their attitudes oftentimes change. Invariably, I will get a hug. Because now it's dad. He's on my level. They can take comfort from that. Dad's here for me. And again, you know, with the hug comes the reassurement of, yes, I am here for you. And that's what Jesus does with us. That's what he did with us when he came to this earth, when he died for us. When he says he's always with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's what he's doing. He's down at our level. He's saying, I'm right here with you. Hold on to me. It doesn't make sense. Life oftentimes does not make sense because we can't see things clearly from God's perspective. The more we press into him, oftentimes he gives us a glimpse as to, okay, I can kind of see where this is. This might make sense. But that's where the trust comes in. That's where the faith in Christ comes in. That's where surrendering to him comes in. And again, it's not a blind faith. It's an active faith. It's a Lord, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. And to control your thoughts in, and to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ requires us to use the tools that he's given us. What are those tools? If you go into Ephesians, you'll find the full armor of God. Put that into kind of military terms. What does that look like? And you start realizing some of the benefits of something like a helmet. Helmet protects you from, from taking a blow or some other object into the head. And Satan loves to throw things at our minds. Keep your helmet on. It's, it's a temptation when things are going good to take your helmet off. You think, oh yeah, I can take off some of my armor and stretch a little bit. Keep your helmet on. We are always in an active battle. Again, that, that's what I mean when I refer to keep your eyes on Christ. Turn your eyes back to him. Always keep your eyes focused on him. Seek him actively in prayer. All right, so our key takeaways. True peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's nothing we can produce. It's something that God produces in us. And oftentimes, that fruit that's produced requires us to go through some sort of trial or struggle or something in order to actively produce that fruit. It is compared to a muscle. For those of you who like to work out, I'm, I don't really care to work out that much. I keep doing the New Year's resolution thing. But for those of you who like to work out and build your muscle, it does require active work. It requires an element even of pain. It's one of the things I don't like. 
But as that muscle begins to build and get stretched and get, uh, again, built up, it does so under strain. And so our faith oftentimes is built and strengthened under strain. So true peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And of course, Jesus, God, gives us peace. He's the one who supplies it to us. We are required, our part is to turn our eyes to Him, is to actively seek Him, to take our thoughts captive to Him. When Satan is, is invading our thoughts, when he's bombarding us, either via whispers or shouts, that, you know what? I don't think God has this. He's forgotten about you. Or whatever lie he likes to send your way. And they can come in such waves that it becomes numbing and overwhelming to where you almost can't feel, if, if you will. It's almost, almost impossible. You begin to get numb to where you just want to focus in on yourself. And it does take effort to go, you know what? My God has this. I will hold on to him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. And that takes an act of surrender to Jesus. It's very hard, oftentimes, to surrender ourselves, our pride, what we think we deserve, over to Jesus and say, what? You know what, Lord? This is what I thought I deserved. This is what I got. And Lord, I have to trust you that wherever you're leading me, in whatever way, you know what you're doing. And I have to rest in you. But that surrender to Jesus also applies to those who don't know him. And this part of the message is the call out to those who don't know Jesus. If you, if you don't. If you've never surrendered to Jesus before, if you've never acknowledged him as your Savior, now is the time to do it. Without him, you are left to have peace in yourselves. You have to figure it all out by yourself. Without Jesus, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. You don't have peace with God, and you need to have peace with God in order to get peace from God. So again, my encouragement to you today, whether you know Jesus or not, is to surrender to him, to turn your eyes to him, to rest in him.